see you all here this morning. Those of you who are still standing, I assume you've been in a court of law quite often. I'm sorry for you. I've had a variety of opportunities to be involved in legal situations. On both ends, I've been a juror in a murder trial. That was very, very interesting, very difficult. We were sequestered, went through all that stuff. It was quite a, quite a process. I'll use that term, quite a process. I've also been on the other side where I was being uh, prosecuted. So I was, the, I was the guy on the hot seat and interacting with judges and lawyers along that way. And that was very much different. You need a lot of deodorant. I'll put it that way. It's just, oh my goodness. And then I've been in a variety of semi-court situations, you know, where they're not really, it's not so much a judge, it is uh, city councils or things like that. Those are very difficult. Regardless of who you are, people often say, oh, well, you know, Pastor Lee, it doesn't bother you at all. Oh, it bothers me a great deal. It bothers me a great deal. It's very Hard. It's not a normal thing. It's not where we live. It's not where we interact. There's no comfort. There's a sense of I'm making a fool of myself, I think. And you look around you and you're sure of it as you look at the faces. They're looking at you. I'm definitely making a fool of myself. Uh, hard, hard, difficult situation when you find yourself placed in courts of law. I want you to grab a hold of your feelings, that, that sense of fear. Uh, sense of inadequacy. The sense of when's the next shoe going to drop. It's Rich walking up with a set of handcuffs in his hand and you're going, what? What's next? And he's got the look on his face and says, I'm really sorry. Rich being a policeman before and they go, oh my goodness. Difficult, difficult things. That's exactly where Paul was at. I want you to grasp that because oftentimes when we look at the book of Acts and we start reading through these things, we don't recognize, we don't realize what is actually happening here and what Paul is going through because he doesn't have a lawyer. He is it. He has to present his own defense in every situation. He has to respond, in this case, to three different judges. He's going to speak today in chapters 24, 25, and 26 is where we're at. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, or if you want to go on your uh, Facebook, actually on your uh, U-verse thing there, you got, if you've got that, you can go on that. The outline is laid out there. Some of you, somebody asked me the other day, said, Pastor, would you please show us how to do that? Well, if you have this simple thing here on your phone, if you have this app and it's called, and if you don't have it, you know, you should, mine's called Holy Bible. If you click on that Holy Bible, just push on Holy Bible, it'll come up. And then you go over to it and it'll say over to the very bottom right-hand side, it'll say more. I want more. And then it'll come up a little list of things, video events, push on events. And you'll see Lighthouse Coastal Community will come up. Okay? Push on Lighthouse Coastal Community. And it says, got this great picture of a gavel, you know, trials and temptations. And then as you go down, walk through all the announcements we've already shared here. And then it actually has the outline for our message. You can fill in the notes there. This is what I actually do now. I no longer, I, I no longer bring a pad and 
paper. I actually go on this, and it has the entire set of notes for your outline laid out in here. It's even got all the blanks filled in. Just to let you know. <laughs> so they're already filled in here. You can walk through that whole thing, and it goes, oh, my goodness. So this is how this works. It's a great little app, and it's got add notes, to on the bottom of each one. You can type in your little notes. And that's all you got to have. If you don't have that UVersa app, which will come up as Holy Bible, uh, you can talk to someone later, one of our elders or somebody, and they'll help you get that on your phone. It's really simple. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. It's a wonderful, wonderful app. Best one I've ever been involved with by far in terms of things. I use all my devotions on that. So I, I do my daily devotions. This right through the book of Acts. It's got a great study for the book of Acts. It's, it's a 20-day one that I've gone through twice and helped me immensely in understanding this. So that's just a little side note for you. That may be more helpful than anything I share today. That may be the best thing you got the entire morning. All right? So good thing along that in. Hopefully it helped a few of you. And we'll keep at it until we get it down so that everybody feels like, hey, I have come into the next generation. I'm moving into this digital place here. So when we talk about trials, when we talk about temptations, we need to understand that these are opportunities that are placed into our path that will produce either character or calamity. And it's really our choice which one they'll produce. It's an inward thing and an outward thing. There's an inward process that's taking place as a result of the trials I'm going to have to deal with. In this case, it's a real trial. And then there's an outward situation, which is how other people view what's taking place and the results of what takes place. So all of that's, that's taking place. We talk about trials and temptations. Today we have the trials of Paul. Three different ones. Chapter 24 will be the first trial. And that's under a man by the name of Felix. Okay? So I'm giving you a quick overview. Second trial will be under a new governor called Festus that will take place two years after the first trial. So I gave you a little heads up. Paul is going to be placed back in jail for two years in Caesarea. So if you've been walking along with this now, you know he's in Caesarea. He's back to Caesarea. He's in Herod's palace. Okay? He's, in, uh, he's in a jail area. He's not actually in the dungeon. He has freedom to write and to interact with his friends. There's a lot of freedom that he's got in this particular situation here. But he is under uh, palace arrest. We'll use that term. Okay? He's under palace arrest. And that's, that's what's taking place here. Paul finds himself then responding, first of all, to the governor, Felix. Who is a, a fairly corrupt governor? He actually comes out of an interesting background of being a slave and rising up to the place where he becomes governor in, in the Roman society, which is quite a deal. But he does it through a variety of underhanded processes. Okay, a lot of blackmail goes on to get him into positions. Then, then he's going to go to the second governor, whose name is Festus. Festus, and Festus is a is a solid, capable Roman governor who has character. So that's the second governor he's going to find himself presenting his case towards. And this guy is, is solid. He's gone up through the ranks. He's a good governor. He's got a good heart. He uh, tries to do the right thing. Uh, you know, that, that's his setting there. And then lastly, he's going to come before a man by the name of King Agrippa, or otherwise known as King Herod. And hopefully that triggers some things in your mind uh, when you talk about, whoa, 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 Herod's back? Yes, but it's a different Herod than the one you're thinking of. He is the last in the dynasty of the Herod dynasty. He's the last king, the last person in this particular uh, dynasty of the Herod 
process that God has interacted with incredibly, uh, intentionally, personally. It's been very, very interesting how this has happened over and over with Herod. It's fascinating to me to see all the specific interactions by Jesus, by Paul, by Peter, by all God's main men interacting with these Herods. God obviously had an intention and a plan here that I'm not fully aware of. It would be interesting. I'm going to say, Lord, why was that, by the way? Why were these guys so involved here? And you kept bringing it back and back. And today you'll find out as we get back at him today. So let's start off with Acts chapter 24, the first trial I called the beginning. It says five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of his elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. They brought their charges against Paul before the governor. So Paul's in a trial for his life. The intention of the Jewish high priest who is taking the time out to go down with his lawyer to present this case against Paul. They want him turned over to them so they can kill him. That's their desire. That's their intention. You go back to the last chapter. You saw what was happening there. If you haven't, get a hold of the CD on that. Go online. You can listen to what took place there. So the lawyer opens up with this. Paul is called in. Totellus presents his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. Yeah, you hear the kiss up. Just, this guy is, you are so wonderful, Felix. We, we really like you. Ah. Uh, But in order not to weary you further, we need to get this out of your hands because it means nothing to you. I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man, he points to Paul, this man to be a troublemaker. He stirs up riots among the Jews all over the world. This is punishable by death under Roman law. If you have a person who is stirring up riots, causing this, that's a death sentence takes place. So that's the first thing I understand. What he's saying is you need, to, you need to kill this guy. Secondly, he's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Second thing, you're not allowed to put together a sect that will be against the Roman directives. That is punishable by what? Death. Once again. Third one, he tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. The only other way in which death is brought that the Jews could actually kill someone, put them to death, stone them to death, would be if they desecrated the temple. That was allowed. If you desecrated the temple, brought Gentiles into the temple, did specific things against their religious base, then you could put to death that person. So he says, here are three points I'm bringing to you. They all deserve the death penalty. Surely you will find him guilty of one. Simple, laid out, clear. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about all these charges that we're bringing against him. And the other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting this is true. So the governor turns to Paul and he says, I want you to respond to the charges. And Paul says, I know for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation. So I gladly make my defense. I believe you're going to make an honest decision here. So I'm going to give you my defense. You can easily verify That no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple. Or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. 
and they cannot prove to you the charges that they are now making against me. I am not a troublemaker. That's what he's saying. I'm not a troublemaker. And you know by the evidence this is true. No question about it. Now, that wouldn't have been true, by the way, in Ephesus. He would have been considered a troublemaker in Ephesus. But here he says, I'm not a troublemaker. Clearly. Saying, yep, you're right. However, I admit that I do worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of, new term, the way. First time this term is used, the way, in relationship to Christianity. Which they call a sect. Which they call a sect. He says, it isn't a crime to worship the God. And you know that. I believe everything that's in accordance with the law. What's written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have. That there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and before man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. That's why he came. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. You see, he's responding to the, to the statement that he had desecrated the temple. That didn't happen. I was ceremonially clean when they found me. There was no crowd with me. I was not involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews in the province of Asia who ought to be here and bring charges if they have anything against me. You can go back to Ephesus in the situation there. If someone has any charges, it's these guys. But I don't see any of them here to bring charges against me. These who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it's the one thing that I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. He just said, okay, that's good. We're done. Everybody out. When Lysias, the commander, comes, I'll decide your case. That's not true. That's not what's going to happen, but... He said, I'll, I'll decide the case later after I talk to the commander and deal with these other things. Great. So he puts himself in a position to take care of things. He says, he puts Paul under, Paul under guard, but I gave him freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. So he's going to have an opportunity to write, to interact, to share, to be involved with a variety of people that will come and inter- share with him while he's in prison here. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul, and he listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Paul talked about three things. Righteousness, the right thing to do, what is right, what is wrong, truth versus lies. Secondly, he talked about self-control, the opportunity to respond to God's directive in your life, to make a choice, to respond to that choice and to live according to that choice, and then about the judgment to come for those who don't respond appropriately to the, cho- to the choice. Felix was afraid. He was filled with fear, is the text here. He said, that's enough. I don't want to hear any more. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Is this, do you catch the picture of what's going on here? So we find ourselves... Paul interacting with Felix. Felix recognizes their charges are wrong. Okay, hey, I'm going to let him go. Paul recognizes, okay, I'm going to be okay here. Instead, Felix moves him into almost a friendship relationship and begins to talk with him and share with him. His wife, who's Jewish, obviously has pushed him a bit and said, I want to hear more about this. Perhaps she becomes a Christian. We don't know. It doesn't say. 
But they began to share with Paul over the next two years on a regular basis. The problem is Felix is a corrupt governor. And he's trying to use Paul. If I can't get any bribes out of him, I've got to use him to appease the Jewish situation that I'm constantly in trouble with these guys. Now, I guess my cry on this one is I said to myself, I wonder if I was in that position. If we're in that position, we find ourselves in a trial. We're placed before a judge and a large group of people. Some of you accuse us of something. How are we going to respond? How are we going to react to them? Will there be enough evidence in our walk and how we're living that it declares to them that we are a follower of the way of Christ? And at the same time, that we're respecting those that we're involved in. You see, that's really the question here. So I began to look at that and I said, well, Lord, how does that apply to me when I talk about loving you and loving my neighbor and, and loving my brothers and sisters in Christ? Is, is there enough verification in my life in those areas so that if I found myself placed in this kind of trial that they would say, oh, yeah, obviously Lee loves God. We see that on a regular basis, what he does, how he does it. He's involved in these things. Obviously, Lee loves his church, his people. He cares for them. He walks with them. He prays with them. He responds to them. He provides them with finances whenever he does whatever he can. He cries with them. He laughs with them. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely does that. And, and, and he loves his neighbor. He interacts with them. He shares with them the truth of who you are. Everybody knows the gospel that comes around him. They hear clearly that message. So we'll convict him of that. And see, that's my first concern is that would I be convicted of that? Or would I instead be convicted of being kind of judgmental religious guy? There's a big difference between those two. I always hear about the church and how it says this or does this. And I go, really? That hasn't been my experience overall. Periodically it is. But normally, the church is a place that I see reflecting a love for God, reflecting a love for God's people, and reflecting a love for the community that we live in, that we interact with. A willingness to care for them and interact. So that's, that's the big struggle here. I go, okay, am, am I doing this? If I was put in this position, would I come out okay? And when I got the opportunity for a bribe to come my way, what would I do then? I can get out. All I have to do is pay. Well, what's wrong with paying a little bit? Maybe it's appropriate in this case. It's, it's a bribe, but hey, that's just the way things are done here. You see what I mean? That's the, that's, I go, okay, Lord, you brought that there specifically to tell us that paying a bribe is not acceptable. It's not appropriate. It's not something you should be involved doing. What are the bribes that we do, though? What, what ways do we give bribes to get ourselves out of the situation that we find ourselves in? Hmm. So after two years had passed, he goes on to say, Paul is still in prison. And Felix was succeeded by a man by the name of Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. He wanted to grant a favor to the Jews. If you went back into history and began to study and you find out what was taking place with Felix, it's a very interesting thing. There was an uprising, uh, kind of a riot situation between the Jews and a group of Gentiles. And Felix chose to join the Roman soldiers with the Gentiles to go against the Jewish people and a number of were killed and then he sent the Romans out to literally ransack the homes of the richer Jewish people that sounds familiar doesn't it 
you know, rich Jews and get ramsacked at home and take all they got. Well, the Jewish people's response was to complain to Rome and say, hey, look what happened. And the response of Rome was to remove Felix from the position of governor. In the midst of that, Felix said, what can I do to appease the Jewish people so that I look a little bit better with them and perhaps they'll be less cantankerous in relationship to the response to the Roman people? What could he do? Well, tell me, what could he do? And keep Paul in jail. And so that's what he did. I'm just going to keep Paul in jail. I'll keep him down here. I'm not going to give him to him because there's a line here, but I will just keep him in jail. Now, after his two years is over, he's being released, and he goes to Festus and shares with Festus what took place. And that's the second trial. The trial before Festus and Agrippa. This is Acts 25 and Acts 26. So Acts 25 walks us through the issue in terms of this trial that takes place before Festus, and then chapter 26 brings us to Agrippa. Now, I encourage you to read that section of Acts 25. I'm not going to read it for you right now. I could, but I'm not going to. I'm going to say we're going to go into 26 in a minute. Chapter 25 is again a presentation of Paul's response to a different trial under Festus, who is a much more conservative and capable administrator or governor. At this point in time, when, when this trial starts under, under Festus, we actually have a new high priest that comes into town. This new high priest responds in the same way as Ananias did. He wants Paul's head on a platter. He wants him dead. That's his intention. So this new sheriff, Festus, is coming to town. And the result of this is that God's going to continue to bring Paul to the place where he's able to accomplish the purpose and the plan that he told him he's going to do, which is to send him where? To Rome. You've got to be sent to Rome, Paul. I have an intentionality about you, but while you're here, you're going to interact with these Roman officials, and it's going to set up a process so when you get to Rome, you're going to be able to interact with a variety of other guys. So in order to get to Rome, Paul has to cut through this maze of Jewish plots. They make all these complaints against Paul, but he's not, they're not able to prove any of them. But he has to use all of his legal, his political, his spiritual wisdom to outwit them. So he's in the midst of this with a new high priest. His name is Ishmael ben Theabi. That helps you a bunch, doesn't it? Okay. Same attitude, same problem taking place here. We know about the change from history. Luke just says the chief priests and Jewish leaders. They're back. Chief priests, Jewish leaders, they're back at it again. But I want you to understand something. If you're going to reach the goals that God has for you, many people kind of get this thing in their head. Well, you know, it really doesn't matter. God's just going to accomplish everything anyway. God's will will be done. It really doesn't matter. He's a sovereign God. All this is going to happen. It really doesn't matter. That is not the directive of the New Testament. The directive of the New Testament is that you can go against God's will and not only not find it, but you can move towards an entirely different direction and cause yourself not to be involved in it whatsoever. God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. The question is, will he accomplish his will in your life? It'll be your choice whether it's going to be done or not. And Paul chooses to get involved in the process where someone would say, you need to pray 
You need to praise God and then you can pass the gunpowder. Okay? Meaning that you've got your job in this as well. So you pray like it's all up to God and you work like it's all up to you. And God does marvelous things when we respond to him believing and we walk in hope, expectation that he's going to bring about a great thing. So Paul knew how to cut through legal and religious opposition. That's the first thing I see in chapter 25. He knows how to cut through legal and religious opposition. Festus wasn't eager to condemn an innocent man to death. So he gladly obliged Paul. He had his case sent to Caesar in Rome. He feared the wrath of Rome for making a wrong decision without seeking their counsel. Paul knew this as a citizen of Rome. He insisted on standing on his constitutional rights since he called for a tribunal in Rome. He knew how to get around the indifference of people. Festus didn't enjoy confrontation, as you look at this guy. He hated the provincial strife that took time away from his enjoyments. He liked to play golf. I'm just saying, Gaul, he liked to play sports. Okay. Paul knew that Festus was indifferent to the squabbles the Jews had with other religious zealots. He knew the authorities were to defend the cause of the innocent or to punish the guilty. We're back to Romans. Remember that? He's going to beat that over and over again in Romans. While he's in jail, he's going to talk about in Romans this, this reality that we need to respect the authorities that God has put into play. When you know you're in the right you need to utilize all your legal, your constitutional, and your moral rights afforded you. You've got to treat our government and our leaders with respect. Because though I may not agree with them, and the price of leadership is often that people will not agree with you, but you always respect them. So Paul does this as he interacts with Festus. Thirdly, he relies on God to expose the Jewish hypocrites and to discredit, who tried to discredit him. So that's why he exposes this situation, throws it out there, and it's pretty obvious to Festus what's taking place. The Lord had even worked in Felix's situation, so Felix had talked to Festus beforehand and shared with him what was taking place with Paul and the other Jewish people. So Festus is kind of set up here. He knows what's going on. He knows what's happening. And he knows the appropriate response. He's kind of coming in knowing what he's going to do all Paul has to do is present his case effectively. And he does. So we find ourselves unjustly accused, wrongfully incarcerated after two years. And now this representative of the government comes up and he said, Paul, I want to help you. How about if we just go back to Jerusalem and I'll take care of the case there? I remember the famous words of Ronald Reagan. He said, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are this. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Paul says, no, nah. let's just stay here or we'll go to Rome because they're going to kill me on the way to Jerusalem. I already know that. That's the intention. That's the setup. So he's respectful, he's wise, he's eloquent, he presents his case, Festus is impressed with him, he says, okay, you're right, he uses honest facts to remind everyone of their responsibilities. As you read through this text, you're going to see this over and over again. He didn't want to be guilty of failing to fulfill his obligation before Rome, Festus was like, I, I want to make sure I do the right thing here, Paul reminds him of it, and as Martin Luther once said, 
at the Council of Worms, one truth smites down a host of lies. One truth smites down a host of lies. So the hope for freedom that Paul has when he walks into this trial becomes a call to sacrifice. Submit yourself to God, a living and holy sacrifice. Lord, obviously, I'm not going to go home. And he remembers, I'm sure, echoed in his head the cries of God. Paul, I need you to speak the gospel in Rome. Deep breath, he shares, and it moves on. Recently, uh, we laid out here and talked about a special assembly bill, SB 1146, that was presented to the assembly and was supposed to be put together that would bring about, well, I'll read it, would have curtailed the freedom of private religious colleges. We gave you some materials on that and said you need to respond to the leaders on this. You need to respond and say, hey, you are not allowed to do this. This is out of line. The statement is we were literally able to see tens of thousands of people mobilized to make calls, to write their legislators, to participate in the political process. Legislators said they had gotten hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of phone calls on this single piece of legislation. And the result was Senator Laura said he would remove the portions of his bill that would have harmed the rights of religious colleges to operate according to their principles, which would have done this. The result of this is any students of low income who were receiving Cal grants if they attended the college with policies such as bathroom use based on biological sex that violated the state's LGBT policies, then the students would have been enabled to file suit against the college. It goes on and on and on. And we said, hold it, you can't do this. These are the principles laid out here. We responded back to them, and it was removed as a result of you. Many of you chose to do that. You made a phone call. Good job. And you went through the process. This is just Paul. That's what Paul was doing. He's walking through the process, but he's doing it individually. He has Luke and these others along with him. They're all there with him in the trial. He is not alone. Luke is recording this as he's sitting there at the trial. And they're coming and sharing with Paul at this point in time. You see, God provides for all of our needs, but he often calls us to a sacrifice. Sometimes the sacrifice is a simple one. It's a letter we write. It's a phone call we make. It's an interaction with some friends. It's sending out a series of emails. We go, you know, this is a pain in the rear. And I go, whatever. We have to do these things. It's part of the democratic process. Paul had to speak clear. He could have walked up and said, you know something? Everybody here knows I'm right, you're wrong, I'm done. I would have tended to do that. I have to be truthful. And they would have said, well, the last comment is right. You're done. You're done. Instead, he walks through step by step by step by step and throughout the entire Acts 25 why they should respond to him in an appropriate way. And at the end, he says, I appeal to Caesar. I want a free trip to Rome. I want a free trip to Rome. Me too. 
but probably not in the way Paul's going to get it, which we'll find next week as we get into that area. Okay? Last trial, King Agrippa, the top dog. It says, chapter 26, starting with verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. The trial is over. Then Festus goes and he talks to King Agrippa, who happens to be in town. King Agrippa says, oh, I want to hear about this. Who is this guy? What's going on here? He comes in in all his pomp and circumstance, dressed up to the teeth. Dun, da, da, da. You know, the whole thing is going on. Big, huge crowds are coming in, seeing this trial. Paul walks in and his you know, tattered clothes, steps before him, and he says, okay, I want to hear the case. Who is this guy? What's happening? Why is he here? All right? So, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense regarding all the accusation of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and the controversies. I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they've known me for a long time. They can testify, if they're willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled As they earnestly seek God day and night. King Agrippa, it's because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Paul now uses his platform to clarify who Jesus is and what he has done. So in this reading, you will see something interesting. All the leading men are gathered together. They're assembled in. Here comes in the king. He's sitting here. Here is Festus on the side. And Paul turns to him and he turns to him like this. And he turns to him and says, King Agrippa, it's so good you're here today. Everyone else is ignored. I want to talk to you about the situation that's taking place and why I am here and how you can respond to it. Paul has turned this into a revival setting. He's made himself into the main preacher. And first of all, he lays out to King Agrippa specifically who he is. He mentions his name in verse 2, in verse 7, in verse 13, in verse 19, in verse 27. Direct references as he's talking to him face to face. He keeps addressing himself personally. And you've got to understand, as we remind you earlier, Agrippa is King Herod Agrippa II. And when you read in the New Testament about King Herod, it won't be him But it was his great-grandfather that you see in Matthew as you open it up and we see the beginning of the New Testament. It's pretty hefty. You're going to go on down through person after person after person. Herod the Great who kills all the baby boys in Bethlehem we know about. Herod Antipas who beheaded John the Baptist. Herod Agrippa I who put to death the Apostle James. And soon died afterwards of a severe disease. These Jewish kings have been opposing Christianity from the beginning. And now Agrippa has all this on his mind as he looks at Paul. And he's thinking, all of my relatives, all the things that have taken place in their life were a direct result of interaction with Jesus and with Christians I'm not sure whether to be afraid or angry. 
And that's who Paul's addressing. So he lays out the first thing. He says, look, it, I know your family opposed the gospel. And all of them have died or been disgraced because of it. But I want you to hear from me. How did I respond to those who had done this? Your family had opposed the gospel, but I personally opposed the gospel. This is the first time he's able to hear about the Messiah in reality, this Jewish character that comes along. And next to him is Agrippa, his sister, and now his wife. 